welcome to the second episode of A More Delightful Future, where you're heal conversations about how to design a better society. My name is Elijah Claude, and I'm going to share interviews, advice, and thoughts from people creating emerging technologies. Throughout this podcast series, I'll do my best to ask great questions and get real answers about the role of user-centered design in the most innovative companies of our time. Today, you're here from Annie Eaton, the CEO and co-founder of Futurist, a future technologies company, and the first major XR studio in Atlanta. She's also the executive producer at Amoebus Labs, which is an immersive gaming company. And she's a creator of the XR Atlanta Meetup Group, which has over 1,400 members. So full disclosure, I'm, I'm a little biased with when it comes to Annie and Futurist because they have been what allowed me to get access to virtual reality years ago, like in 2014, 2015, before it was really readily available to the public. And furthermore, um, I was able to visit Futurist and talk with a lot of their team. And I, I just think they're, they're super awesome. But nonetheless, I hope her passion and dedication uh, to creating magical experiences is evident in this interview. And I hope you learn a lot because I always do when I'm talking to Annie. So nonetheless, here we go. Annie Eaton, a more delightful future. Enjoy. All right. So to start with the first question, Annie, um, Defining delight as something that evokes pleasure, that is usable, and is highly meaningful. What makes your company delightful or impactful? Ooh, that's that's a good one. And would you, I guess, rather hear about delightful to work for or delightful in the products we create or both? Oh, both, both, definitely. Okay. Um, well, I guess I'll start with uh, actual working at our company because I feel like that goes so much into the products we make. Uh, we do have a really good internal culture for innovation as far as just not being um, satisfied or, or not just doing the minimum. Uh, I feel like there are so many things that we'll find during production that if we have a better way to do something or, or a different way to do something that we were originally intending when we started a project. We'll of course talk to our customers, but we'll be able to kind of shift quickly and, and adapt the project into being something better than what it started out being. And that all really comes from a, a place of how we think and how we work collaboratively internally. So I feel like people aren't really afraid to ask questions. They're not afraid to bring their ideas to the table, whereas, you know, some larger corporations, if you're uh, one of the, I guess, lower entry level or not entry level, but um, mid-level employees, it's, it's a lot harder to get to the um, top or at least get your ideas heard. And for us, I want the, the everyone to have a voice. I want everyone to bring their ideas, no matter how big or small they are, because they can always make us better. Uh, as far as making things that delight our customers. We, of course, hope that we do that, but um, I think it's really having an educational piece to our process. So we're not just making something for them, but we're teaching them why it's important and how we're making it uh, and why we're making it. Um, because a lot of the people who commission us to make uh, our XR, AR, VR experiences uh, don't necessarily know a lot about the technology. That's why they're bringing in people like us. Um, but we don't just want to make something and, and set it out and forget it. Like we want 
want them to understand the whole process. Um, we had a, a conversation with a recent customer who it was more of like a kind of a retrospective conversation back on the past three years um, because we've been working with them for three years. And one of the questions we asked him was, what did you know when you started this versus what you know now? And he's like, the best part about this has been learning about the technology with you guys. And, mm -hmm. and as you all uh, learn something new, we get to learn something new and it's always a constant iteration and we're always striving to make something better. So um, I think it, it really is two part in how we think internally and what we bring to our customers. But those two uh, pieces are very complementary to bringing delight to the whole project or situation. Right, right. That's awesome. That's awesome. As a as a follow up to that, uh, you mentioned a retros retrospective with that customer. Uh, do you have any other type of um, retrospectives or just quantitative or qualitative kind of feedback measures that you that you can can use to understand the results of your of your projects? Yeah, uh, it. It is something that we do look back on after every project, um, but every project is very different. So we've done, of course, well, that one in particular um, is an app called JLGAR. It's for the company JLG that makes a, uh, well, they make aerial work platforms. So boom lifts and scissor lifts and all that. Um, but we've also done projects for the Super Bowl, for example, in VR um, with United Way of Greater Atlanta. We've um, done some work with HD Supply Whitecap, which was a 360 video. So like all these projects are for completely different audiences and using very different, well, similar but different technology. Uh, and so it is hard to compare them to each other. However, um, we do typically look at if there has been any return on investment for the customers, and that's not always monetary. Um, so for that Super Bowl project, for example, they were able to get uh, 12,000 new uh, people in their, I guess, marketing funnel for fundraising. Right. So um, being able to get 12,000 people added to your email list in a week because of an exciting and engaging VR experience at a live event, that's amazing. That was a success. Um, we're uh, not able to disclose numbers for this one, but the, the AR app we release globally on iOS and Android, and that has seen very strong numbers for it being out, I guess, maybe five months now on iOS and a month on Android. And they're getting people from all around the globe using it. It's a multi-language app, and we're able to even see you know, who's using it and what language um, based on where they're coming from. So that's also really cool. Uh, and they've they're investing into continuing development and, and always uh, adding more features and improving because of that positive feedback. So a lot of it is more, um, I guess, qualitative than quantitative results. Mm. Um, however, it, it is something we do have to do case by case. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, I ask that because I, I, I find that a lot of people, you know, tend to just do things in AR and VR because it's cool. Um, it's, it's, I appreciate, you know, I love this technology, but, you know, it's very important to show that RRI in some way because it, it, it shows the importance of it, you know, the impact that it can have on their business. So the fact that you have at least a contextual, you know, um, qualitative uh, return on investment is, is pretty important. And uh, I appreciate that. Thank you. And uh, let's see. The next question is, uh, what does your team look like? So, it's kind of a two-part question. The first is just how is it organized in terms of, you know, the, um, the amount of design people on your team, what they focus on in your team. And the second part is the is a more diversity aspect is um, how do you get people from different backgrounds and, you know, mental um, kind of 
uh, conceptions to work on your projects as well. Yeah, we, um, we, I feel like are getting more and more balanced as we evolve and the company gets older. Um, right now, I guess I'm trying to think of like in percentage, we have about 30% that's more like management, project management, um, marketing, more, I guess, office C type roles. And then about 70% is either art, design, or development. Mm -hmm. So um, it's gotten to be a pretty good balance. We uh, have another developer starting in early February, and then we're bringing on another artist uh, also, I guess, in January, which is in two days. <laughs> um, I know this will air later, but it's just weird to think about. Um, and with those people, we really were looking at filling in where my other team members needed help. Uh, we have some amazing minds at my company, but even those can get stretched thin sometimes. And so we're, I've been really looking closely at how to balance it uh, and bring in help for the people who really need it. Um, but in the develop, like every single person in my company has multiple, uh, I guess, roles. So none of us just do one thing. Um, so for example, on the art side, we have an amazing artist named Shelby and she's not only a 3d modeler, but she's also a fine artist. So she can do textures, she can do, um, 2d art and 3d art. And then she's also a really great, uh, designer and for a game we're working on with Amoebus Labs, a lot of the stuff she's doing is kind of falling into that industrial design category because it's not just modeling a flower or an animal, it's um, modeling and creating a whole communication system. And we have to think about not just how it's gonna look, but how it's going to function in VR, uh, which, which has presented an extra challenge that we're willing to take on. Um, but really that's like three things she's doing, 2D art, 3D art, and industrial design in one. Um, on the other side, on the development side, I have two incredibly strong developers. Uh, I have more than that, but these two in particular um, have gotten a really great uh, relationship, working relationship in that they're both very strong in coding and Unity, but one is um, exceptional at, I guess, the kind of back end of making AR and also VR interaction work. So he's done some amazing things on the AR side with AR core and AR kit outside of Unity, which is not an easy feat. Um, and then his counterpart, who um, is also a developer, really has a great focus and eye on UX, UI design, um, but he's also a strong coder as well. So it's like finding all these people who have these multiple talents, but they're uh, complementary to each other, but no one's the same is very important. Um, as far as the diversity question is concerned, that's something that of course we try very hard at, um, but it's in a small team, it can be challenging and it can also be difficult in just finding um, the talent and really figuring out where to look. Um, we have been fortunate enough to find people from different backgrounds to put together a, a fairly diverse team, I would say, especially diverse in gender um, because we are over 50% women, which is rare at a tech company. Um, and as far as uh, ethnicity or race, it's, I'm just gonna say, okay. Um, I wish it was better, um, I guess about now, 
30% of our staff are people of color. So um, again, better than most tech companies, but not good enough in my opinion. Um, but it's something that we work on and it's something that I realized if I'm not getting the, the people that, that it would help balance those numbers as applicants that I have to look at a more long-term approach. So um, been partnering with a few different nonprofits um, in bringing educational uh, tutorials or, or webinars or events to those communities and usually at a younger age. So really in like middle and high school kids, um, because even though I can't have those people as my employees now, um, perhaps in five, 10 years, uh, they'll remember me and <laughs> know that I was the one who got them excited about the technology and apply. So um, I, I know that there are ways to, of course, um, promote those types of careers and roles in adults. But I feel like if I bring it even one step back and uh, tar not target, but um, bring those educational experiences to younger audiences and get them excited from a younger age, then it'll hopefully help not just my company, but the whole community in general. So it's, it's a long-term process and I'm working on it. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Thank you for sharing all that. I think that goes a, um, goes a long way in creating, you know, that, that pipeline problem that people talk about a lot um, in that just introducing this technology to people at a younger age so that they know it's available to them. I think that yeah. goes a long way, definitely. Um, so next question is related to uh, more on that design side, probably for your design teammates or anything like that. But uh, what is your research process? Um, you mentioned a little bit about people are able to bring different ideas to the table, um, but what is their culture feedback and, and you know, cutting of assumptions and design critique and stuff like that at your company? Yeah, it, it is something that we are very collaborative about. Um, we, for and I'll bring up our game as the best example. And as uh, you mentioned in my intro, I do run two companies technically. Amoebus Labs is a game studio and Futurist is more focused on uh, work for higher XR experiences that we develop for companies. Um, and we've been developing a game called Loam and it is going to be released in 2021. And really the feedback and uh, design iterations on that have been very, um, very collaborative within our organization. So we get a new build from the developers every single week, which um, is great. They've been moving at a, a really fast pace lately and we will test it. So uh, I ask every single employee at my company to at least test it 15 minutes, which doesn't sound very long, but with that many people, it adds up. Uh, and then certain people who are more in the target market of the game um, that we're producing have an assignment to to play it for about an hour or more uh, every week. And we'll go in and not just say like something's broken or this isn't working, or we thought this was gonna be implemented, it's not implemented yet, um, but really it's about usability. So we've been having a heck of a time, uh, not necessarily figuring out options, but deciding on which way uh, we're going to be moving furniture in our app. Uh, because some people in VR want to just be able to like reach over and pick up a sofa with their hand. For some people that scare them and there's no way they'd wanna do that and they wanna like push it to move it. Or what we're doing for large objects is we're we have this um, canister that you can pack and unpack. And when you pick an object up, you can pack it and put it in your inventory and then bring it out when you want it and unpack it and then place it. But um, 
everyone seems to like something different, which is okay, but also we have to make a decision. So um, it's really listening to everyone's feedback and, and understanding where people are coming from and also why they feel the way they do. But then if we're having a, a disagreement or, or there are multiple uh, choices to kind of decide on, we will really take our target market into account. And uh, that voice is kind of overpowering, or at least um, helps make the final decision to how we're going to do something. And the same goes with our customers as well. We'll test things internally, but we don't know how they're going to react until they see it themselves. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's really good. Sometimes they're like, okay, I didn't know it was going to be like this. And we'll say, okay, well, we can change it. We just need to know why you don't like it or why something's wrong. And um, then kind of go through that process with them as well. But it really is down to that uh, end audience and the, and the final audience to make sure it's going to be an experience that is best for them. Okay, awesome, awesome. And do you have like a, a method of doing like, low fidelity kind of um, test first or anything like that. So you can, you know, quickly iterate through the, through those uh, critiques before you have to push it out. Um, we do. Final form. Yes. So on the AR side, unfortunately, you can't really test AR as easily this way. But um, as far as like the app design and the app flow on mobile, um, we will use Adobe XD. So one of the products that's in the Creative Cloud, and that's great for anything we're developing for phone or tablet. Um, and then the AR stuff we will kind of put in a, um, a general kind of shell that doesn't have any of the design with it yet. So they can see the design piece on their screen, and then they can see the AR functionality separate. And we won't put the two together until uh, we've gotten approval on both. And then um, on the VR side, we do uh, kind of what we've been calling like a wireframe version of it. So we'll build out the environment in space, their 3D space, but we won't put all the textures on. We won't put the interactivity in um, until the customer sees the, the wireframe version and um, they, they like it. They say it feels right. Um, even with lighting, because like we have an architectural visualization project we've done this for, since we don't put any textures on the entire environment, all the furniture, everything is just this kind of white or light gray. And so we'll still put lighting in there. So there are shadows and you can see depth. Um, but but yeah, that saves a ton of time because applying those textures does take quite a bit of time, as I'm sure yeah. you know. Yeah, that's awesome. Because um, I know my, from my experience, it's very kind of difficult to test in um, AR and VR right now with uh, limited tools. Um, there's uh, I think it's shell games, I believe it was. It came out with a, a method called brown boxing. So you create, you know, um, create actual physical example of, of what you're going to create, like at a construction oh, okay. paper and cardboard and stuff like that. Yeah. And have the customer go through the experience. Um, so that, that was an interesting, you know, method and it works in some, you know, some yeah. reasons. Yeah. That's cool. Um, yeah, we did a paper prototype for our game where we kind of made a board game version of it first right. to see what parts were fun, and that was cool. But um, that's interesting, making the cardboard uh, version of it. That's something I'll have to keep in mind. Yeah, you never know. It might, it might help pretty well. Yeah. Um, I ended up using, uh, what do you call it, uh, Google Blocks as well <laughs> to quickly mm -hmm. test out some things as um, for, for different customers to put it act yeah. in the actual virtual environment. But um, there's some interesting <laughs> methods we're trying to use. All right. So the next question is, uh, how do you make sure that your innovations and your 
products are actually solving the right problems? That is another good question. We uh, we do put a lot of thought into why we're doing something before we even start development. Um, and that's always a part of the initial kind of consulting process with the customer. Um, because if we don't know why we're doing something, then it's a lot harder to design it. Um, so if the end goal is, is fundraising, um, then we can be, uh, have, I guess a little more um, guidance as far as how we're going to approach the, the problem or not necessarily problem, but just the, the design of the product. Um, if they wanna sell more things, then we need to make sure their products look amazing and impeccable. I guess the fundraising is more on the story side and then the sales is more on the visual side. Um, but as far as solving the right problems with our innovations, that's probably comes down more to the type of customers we work with. Um, we do, I mean, have pretty much creative or not creative freedom, but freedom to choose who we work with. So there have been some, uh, I guess, companies that could seem like they were not good fit for our company to work with um, just because of the industry that they were in. Um, like we did have an opportunity with um, a, a offshore oil fracking company that we decided to decline on the proposal just because we didn't want to do the project. Um, and our company is completely independently owned uh, and operated. So we are fortunate enough to have the freedom to choose. I know a lot of companies, if they are uh, kind of chained to their investors and the whims of their investors, they don't get that that opportunity to choose. So we do take advantage of that. We don't take it for granted. Uh, and we we do seriously consider kind of the impact of what we're making, um, depending on the, the type of customer that we're talking to. So there are projects that we really, really have wanted to do. Like, even though the Super Bowl project was really great exposure, one of the main reasons we wanted to do it was because United Way of Greater Atlanta was was trying to produce an experience to help educate children, uh, mostly middle schoolers, on social emotional learning and learning how to handle themselves when they encounter conflict in a school or, or at the bus stop or any of that. And um, I feel like that kind of made us want the project more because it wasn't just, you know, a football throwing game. It was an opportunity to make an impact or, or have a, an impact on a child's life who might come through and experience that right. um, and make them realize, oh, I do have choices when I see my friend being talked about behind their back. I can, I can confront the bully. I can talk to a teacher. I can talk to my friend and make sure they're okay. But they were able to make those choices in a safe environment and then replay it if they felt like they didn't make the right choice. So um, so we do look at the types of projects where we're presented and make the ultimate choice ourselves. We can always say no. So that's really nice. Um, and then as far as our game studio is concerned, we uh, one of the reasons we've chosen to make Loam, which is um, a gardening, it starts as a gardening game. It gets a little more interesting than that, but it's in a really um, beautiful world where you have the creativity to create your own garden and create your own outdoor space and have control over it, but it's in, you know, kind of this utopian world. Um, 
we wanted to make a design game. We wanted to make a game that wasn't a shooter. We wanted to make a game where people could kind of spend hours in it and really have control over something in their lives that was beautiful. Mm-hmm. And um, I know that people don't always get to have that um, in the physical world. And so we wanted to create something that um, really brought that to opportunity to people with a VR headset. So um, it's really looking at what what isn't there in VR and what can make an impact and how can we bring that to the table. Right, right. Awesome, awesome. That's awesome because I, I played like probably hundreds of, of VR games and it, and it's still very rare. I, I'm not even sure if there are any games really out there like that where you're growing something mm-hmm. um, and we being able to have that experience in VR. Um, it's like I think there's like a Dragon Pets game, which is but it's not the same. But yeah, that that would definitely be very very interesting. I would love to see that when it comes out. Yes, I know. I'm gonna have to add you to our playtesting list. <laughs> oh yeah, please. <laughs> the last two questions center around specifically UX design, UX uh, you, you know user centered approach. Um, so because you have um, people on your team that are more generalist in terms of coders and you know designers or artists and designers, how do you uh, how do you create a, a very user-centered approach at your company in terms of, um, and I ask this because UX is, is um, more than just, you know, visual, um, visual art or, you know, um, interaction design. It also goes a lot into like the psychology of people, of how to mm-hmm. build experiences that make people feel and stuff like that. So how do you um, approach that aspect of UX? Yes, um, I, I do think that really the, the main thing we can do is to be open to changing our design when, when people have problems with it. Um, right. our, our main UX person on the team, Pierce, he always says uh, that the user's never wrong. And so we've all kind of tried to adopt that um, mentality when we're thinking about design and not letting our, you know, our feelings get hurt if someone isn't getting something. It's not their fault. It's our fault for not designing it in a way that they can just understand. So that has been a shift um, because in working with a new, newer technology, VR is not new, but new or uh, we we do run into uh, a lot of instances where we're putting the headset on someone who has never experienced it before and they don't know what they're doing. But unlike a computer or a phone where you have to learn how to type and you have to learn where to click, VR should be much more seamless than that. Uh, someone who has never used a computer, which we've done this with a few times, um, may be able to put on a VR headset and be able to instantly use it because of how intuitive it is and how the controllers really do just work like just how your hands would grab. So um, it's thinking about what we can do to not design like a computer experience or a phone experience and what we can do to design like a um, a physical experience that you'd have in, in the physical world. Uh, and that is something that we always have to remind ourselves of. Um, we have one tester internally, she's actually our marketing coordinator and she'll go into a test feedback session with Pierce and she'll say, well, maybe I just wasn't doing it right. I wasn't able to uh, plant seeds. And he's like, no, you're doing it right. How are you doing it? We need to design to what you think is right because you're the user. Um, and of course you have to take that with a grain of salt because you can't please everybody. Um, but if someone's not getting it instantly or at least not uh, clicking quickly, um, 
it's our fault. It's not their fault. So I think just keeping that mentality and looking for people who are also open to that mentality as, as um, new employees of our company is very important. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for answering that. Uh, you definitely answered the, the, uh, that second piece of the aspect of, you know, what you're looking for an applicant as well. So glad yeah. you got to put that in there as well. Um, and so the last question, um, it's kind of like the fun question, but you can take it however you want is how do you invent magic? How do you invent magic at your company? Yes. Uh, well, we're lucky that we have all the tools to invent magic because <laughs> if you didn't know what AR or VR was, you'd think it was magic um, because it really is uh, the illusion of magic, in my opinion. Um, with AR, we're able to place things in our physical world that aren't really there and we're able to interact with them and, and see them as if they are there, which is um, exactly what I feel like magic is, it's the illusion of, um, of that. And it's so important on, I guess, sight and how you perceive the world. Um, and then as far as VR, I mean, we can invent magic all day long in VR because there is no difference between technology and magic. It's all the same. Um, in VR, it's just whatever our minds can come up with. So I'd say the tools are there, the technology is there, and actually inventing the magic is all up in your brain and in, in my team's brains. And luckily, they bring the magic to us every single day. So I'm very lucky to work with people who can invent magic. Awesome. Awesome. Love to hear that. Love to hear that. And um, that's, that is basically it right there. Thank you so much um, once again. For, for sharing all these answers and everything like that. Um, everything was very straightforward, so I appreciate that. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to add or say before we uh, finish this? Uh, well, first off, thank you so much for having me. It was fantastic to get caught back up with you and hear, um, have a great conversation on just innovation and, and design. Uh, and I guess I will shameless plug since we're going to be releasing our game next year, um, that if anyone wants to follow our progress, we have um, on Instagram and Twitter at Loam Game. It's L-O-A-M. And uh, it should be really exciting. So I hope that you can play it and hopefully some of your listeners can play it too. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you very much, Annie. All right. That was Annie Eaton from Futurist. You can check out their services at futurist.com. That's F-U-T-U-R-U-S.com. Or reach out and connect with her on LinkedIn. Once again, the VR game that she mentioned can be found at Loam Game on Twitter and Instagram. That's L-O-A-M Game on Twitter or Instagram. Please check it out because it certainly sounds unique. As always, thanks for listening. Annie's building more delight for future. Are you? Yeah. <laughs>